Yeah, I was asking you how is the whoop that I'm planning to buy to sell my Garmin um, yeah. and buy one. Do you do you do you use the Garmin for for tracking like GPS tracking and stuff like this? Because the whoop doesn't have it. No, GP, GPS. Uh, no, what is the GPS for? Actually, it's for whenever you run. Yeah, whenever you run, it tracks like where you run and no, how far okay. distances and all that stuff. It, it, I, I run. I run. A, yeah, I run sets. Rarely. Four hundred meters. No, I run every week. Oh, no, no, yeah. Four hundred meters, eight hundred. It's not like I'm going uh, around the mountains or whatever. Like I live in the fucking okay. mountain. Like if you go a hundred meters one direction you are going uphill like this so it's impossible to yeah. run around here oh. <laughs> why are you crying <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know there's this awesome book i don't know if i told you about it. i really like it it's about um endurance training for like people that run up uphill that's why I'm, i was laughing uh, I, I just recently uh, did a couple of um webinars about um, like aerobic training, endurance training yeah. for cyclists and and strength training for cyclists. And yeah, I think there's so much good information in there. So it's, a, it's an awesome book and it's yeah. very readable. But, yeah. I, but I think the introduction to it to, I think it's also super cool for CrossFitters to, to understand that aerobic capacity is like a very fundamental thing that you should develop before you um, if you want to get really good at CrossFit, not before yeah. developing strength, but it, yeah. I think it's a really, it's a, it's a very important prerequisite to becoming good at CrossFit. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's really you, good. you really need to get really good separately at endurance training and strength training. Then, then you combine both. But I kind of started to see that the, you know, the, the typical, I'm talking about, you know, performance, not the person that goes to the class and wants to 45 minutes, that's fine. But if you really want to get better at CrossFit, do maybe one year of strength, one year of endurance or six months, but pure of that, pure of that, then start combining things. Um, I think, I think there are way better, way better results doing that, than maybe a little bit of everything every week. I mean, I think if you, I think if you like this, Totally separated. You probably have an issue um, if you do one year of strength training without anything else, and one year of, of endurance training without anything else. I think you'll have an issue because you're probably losing yeah. quite a bit of your of, of your yeah, strength yeah. gains. But I, I think, but I think a that, little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, main, you know, yeah, yeah. mainly a strength training and a little bit of endurance, like a little bit of workouts and you know things like that, and then the other way around. Let's say six months, a year is maybe too much. Or three months. Yeah, you know what? Well, three I think there's, I think there's, a, there's a, a bunch of really cool research out there about like concurrent training. So where you do strength training and endurance training at the same time, because the the like the cellular adaptations are not really yeah. overlapping. Uh, but if you, I think if you do a lot of CrossFit for like high intensity training, um, you're kind of fucking up both other adaptations. And yeah, I think exactly. you can pretty much train. Uh, like if you if you have low aerobic training, not too intense, and strength training, I think it's a great example that you can do all year round. You're getting strong. You're building a great aerobic base, and then I think just to be, to to stay proficient in it, I think it's still necessary to do some some kind of CrossFit training, like one or two workouts a week. Nothing like crazy yeah. where you go like five or six workouts, but I think a baseline of 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 like having that mixed modal training. It's necessary to to stay competitive. I think if you really just do one thing for a year, yeah. 
without like doing any kind of crossfit i think it will be very hard for you to develop like meaningful capacity for the sports yeah I think for, it will for be sure too specialized i but, think i think what, yeah. what, what i meant is but, but that, you know like 80 percent of your workout of of your training yeah, yeah. Be more focus into strength and then you still have what you say like maybe two three uh workouts and endurance workout but you are focusing mainly let's say three months every three months that's more or less the the, the training program that i'm doing that i'm doing is every three months they change the cycle um and you can see okay. a bit more emphasis on strength a little bit more emphasis on endurance but it's not as much as i think the it could be improved your your performance could be improved if you make you know three months 80 strength and then a little bit of workouts and then maybe the next three months maybe you don't go to the opposite but something in the middle and then the other three a months. little less strength a little bit more yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's I it's agree. a long-term approach if you want to compete the same year if you are starting you know if you have competitions in summer and if you want to do that in january maybe you're going to get to the competition a little bit uh, funny but a long-term approach it's basically what fraser was doing he he had uh, he he was doing uh, weightlifting for 13 years 10 years something like that only weightlifting he couldn't even go up the stairs without heavy breathing and then he focused after the second year of uh, losing or not losing but just placing second he he he's, he admitted that he just focused on endurance and he was yeah. weakness yeah, started to be the barbell so it, it, it's a long long-term approach in that way you know you know i think it's just i think not not a lot of people do it but i, I know from from all the people i, I recently or recently it's quite a bit of, like a while ago um i when when james hobart was training with with where i think the other file when james hobart was training with rich froning for a while so james hobart is another guy that has been at the games for like he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, yeah. He's been at the games, I think, nine times uh, or ten times back in the days. And I, I asked them, so like, how their training looks like. And he sent me a super interesting um, like summary. And what you see is that they they have always been doing it, but they they have a like really a lot of stuff where they do lower intensity, more aerobic style training. And they, they kind of row two to three times a week. They sit on the bike uh, four to five times a week. They run two to three times. They, they swim two to three times. And it's not with a super high intensity. All of the sessions are more like technique-based. And, and yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that crazy. So I think this is something that, that is a very good approach to like not overtraining and, and still developing developing capacity as you go program yeah um, <clears throat> so so how is the um how how is it have you been tracking the the whoop or have you been tracking or oh, yeah, have, been, have tracking been tracking it. some some stuff that um it's been a little bit better than last time i've i've been tracking it and it's i think it's i think it's actually really you know what I would recommend? I think it's with all these devices, it's maybe using it for half a year, a year to see, yeah. like to, uh, I, th I think every athlete should still have a good feeling for their body. I don't know if you, under like, if you understand yeah. what I mean, but I think, I think even if you don't have a heart rate monitor, you should be knowing 
like kind of in which domain you're at the moment. If it's, if you're like almost redlining, if you're like, okay, I could do this for two more hours. If you're like, I'm really close to my max. Um, like, like using RPE, like rate of perceived exertion. I think it's, it's probably not a very, it's not a very precise metric if you don't know your body well. I think if you know your body really well, it can be fairly precise as well because I know some people that can that can say they or that that they they know their heart rate within five beats up and down um, or even less when they're doing exercise. Like they just feel in in which zone they are training in, and I think it's the same thing with the whoop. I mean, it tells you stuff that you already know. <laughs> when I when I go to bed at twelve thirty, it, it it tells me I was lacking sleep and I can't train that hard. Yeah. Um, I have to admit. I have not been training super hard. So I'm like the last couple of weeks with all the, the, the work, but I'm curious to see the recommendations when, when I'm starting training a little bit harder again. I'm, I'm really interested to see that, like, like how, how the recovery, like what, what, what it's telling me, because at the moment, if I, if I sleep decently enough, my, my recovery and all the other values are really high. But I think one of the reasons for this is that I'm not training intensely. So what is what are what are the Does parameters that, that they are using for tracking the the recovery besides the sleep obviously? So for recovery they are using I don't know why the heck it's not working. They are using HRV, resting heart rate, respiratory rate. Um, I think they're factoring in the the sleep, and I think they're also factoring in the daily strain. So yeah. how intense your last sessions have been, or how intense your session has has been. And they, I think they have a, they, I think they have a daily set that they use, but then they also have the last seven, seven days that they factor in it. And I think that's okay. how they measure recovery. So it's a combination of sleep, HOV, um, resting heart rate, um, breathing frequency, sleep quality, sleep duration, and mm -hmm. daily strain. I think that's how, how, how they're composing it. Yeah. And they're, the what, what the else? Is the heartbeat tracking yeah. correctly? It's fairly good. Yeah, compare. It's interesting compared to the watch. Yeah. So far, it has been really good. Uh, I did one more intense session where I went up pretty high with my heartbeat and it was tracking it actually pretty immediately. Okay. So I think that was nice. Yeah, because that's the main reason yeah, why I, 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 I want to use the watch. Because of the strap. Sorry, I have the feeling because of the strap. The strap is a little bit more elastic than the straps yeah. that you have on the watch. I don't know which one you have, but that makes it fit better on the arm. I think with okay. the watch, the issue is sometimes it's too loose or if it's super yeah. tight, it's, it's, it's not really nice. But I think the, the issue is if you run it, the, the watch is moving around. It, it starts a little bit getting off the skin and on yeah. the skin. And with, the, with this device, no matter what I do, because it's the, the elastic it's strap, always tight. Um, yeah. it's fairly tight, fairly tight when, I, when I train. Yeah, yeah so I, I try the... The watch I try to put it even tighter, but I, I get the same the same bad results. And you can see, like even if it's tight, you know, if you move the arm or whatever, you can see that it's not it's not a hundred percent on the surface always. And I think you as well. You have a fairly thin wrist, and mm. I think if the wrist is thin and the watch is big, it oftentimes it's sometimes the bony structures as well. Yeah. Um, they push it a little bit off. I think if it would have a very small wrist, uh, a, a big wrist, a big wa watch would work better. Um, I think sometimes a smaller wrist helps. Uh, a smaller mm -hmm. band and a smaller watch helps that, the, that it's in a little bit better position, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
the, the other thing that I, that I think is a little bit weird is, and I think we talked already about it, is the, how it's tracked strain. Strength. You know what I mean? Strain, strain, the strain. How, how, how hard the workout was. Ah, okay, okay. How does it do Because it, 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 does, it, it does track it, but it tracks it as a, um, more as a, in which heart rate zone you are for what time. And that's your daily strains. So if you do like a super heavy weightlifting workout and you're like smoked, it really doesn't give you a, a good strain value. I think okay. it's, it's totally underestimating the strain on the body. Yeah. Um, because the heartbeat doesn't go that regard. high, I guess. Yes, yes. There's no prolonged um, elevation of the heart rate, and that's yeah. why it's it's not really tracking it well. Does it does so, it track? Because I'm, I I'm think not sure it's if... a bit of an issue. Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, no I, I think this is quite a bit, quite a big of an issue. Uh, but, but what they say, but I'm not super happy with what they're saying in this regard is that the heart training will influence your your, your autonomic nervous system and your HRV will very likely decrease. But I, my, my feeling is that it's not a super good correlation with, with how you feel when you've done really hard strength training. But I, I, once again, I, I have not really tested it for myself in regards yeah. to my own training, hard to, to yeah, say yeah, yeah. anything. But as, as strength training, I mean, if you do a set of five times five of back squat, which is gonna take you maybe 15, 20 minutes max, and you do two, three minutes between sets, rest between sets, your heartbeat will never go too high. Um, I'm guessing during those exactly. 15 seconds that you are doing or the last 10 seconds, maybe, you know, the first two, two sets, or the first two reps will be easy for your heartbeat, but then maybe the last two or three could be a little bit, you know, you are exhausted a little bit. I'm not sure if that tracks like a huge spike on the heartbeat, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but if it's tracking only how sustained is the, the rhythm, then definitely it's not going to track. But if you do, uh, you know, a 90 minutes or 60 minutes of a strength where you do back squat, uh, push press, um, squat cleans or something like this, one after the other, you know, maybe your heartbeat is high enough. Yeah, but again, if it's only tracking your heartbeat... If you, if you do... If you don't do it like in a workout style, your heart will yeah, never go up. Nothing, right? If yeah. In the, I mean, if you have a very intense set of squatting and you do go for more reps, your heart rate will probably go up a little higher. Yeah. yeah. Like if you do like a set of twenty, for example, yeah, your heart yeah, yeah. will be fairly high. Yeah, end. but that's it's cardio already. A set of twenty. Yeah, it's more like yeah. cardio training. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's also a little bit different than cardio in this regard because of the of the tension, the muscles, the blood flow regulation is different. So you don't get a good cardiovascular stimulus for the heart, but mm. it's still your heart rate is up. But it's 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 so short in time that it really doesn't matter. I think if yeah. you, it's interesting if you run like a whatever you run for two hours at a fairly high intensity, it's like the the, the values go really high up the strain values. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. do, if you do like a super hard workout for two hours, that is more like in the domain where you have strength and other stuff as well. Yeah, you don't see a lot of impact. You don't see that much. But the, then, then the values that will give you in terms of recovery, um, it's it's not going to be accurate because you know if if you are doing ninety minutes of of strength plus endurance, a typical uh, CrossFit training which is way harder than just going for a run for a, 
you know, uh, 60 minutes or something like this if you're going in a slow pace. Um, and But then what will track as the running is way tougher than uh, 60 minutes workout, the strength, weightlifting, endurance. And, and I think Very it's, likely, it's yes. completely the opposite, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's... So I, I can't tell for me right now, but what I've read so far is that it's, yeah. that it's not really... If you do like CrossFit style training, it, it, it factors in some of the nervous system yeah. exhaustion with the HOV overnight. So okay. you'll have a worse recovery because the autonomic nervous system will be affected by your strength training. But mm. the question is how accurate, like how, how good the, yeah. like how much is the HIV really affected with the, yeah. with the training, strength training, and like how much really does it influence the, the number you get as a recovery yeah, number from. Uh, maybe it's just an estimation. That's, that's the only way that they have. That's the, maybe that's the only way that they have to, to, you know, to factor in a strength training. Because at the end, what they are measuring is your your vitals, and how do you measure a strength into vitals? Like it's, it's it's kind of difficult. For me, at least, what I wanted to get Whoop and the Garmin watch was to be able to know my optimal heartbeat during workouts, so I don't cross the line, the you know the no return point, because I used to have that because I've I've been I've been doing workouts for very little or training to for competing workouts for very little. I've done more strength and condition and a little bit of workouts, but you know, like 80% strength and 20 the, the opposite. So when I started to train for competition, which I need to do more workouts, I was like the first two minutes I was going all in. And then not all in, but I was going too high. So then I got to the point very quick in the world where I was already exhausted. And then the 80% rest of the world, it was just me battling with, uh, you know, not falling. Uh, so I wanted to know, okay, if, if I go past that line, then, then I'm done. So I should be training into this. And maybe should I do a sprint at this time of the workout? That's what I wanted to have. You know what I tracking. recommend? Maybe then I recommend, I think if you want to do this, I recommend that you buy a, I think it's better if you buy a strap for your heart rate monitor. You buy yeah. a watch that can, where you can put in heart rate zones and that, that makes you aware of it by beeping or whatever. I think there's some tools out there that you could use that beeps when you cross the whatever yeah. from zone two to zone three or from zone three to zone four that gives you a, like a, a visual and auditory cue that you're like redlining. Because you, can't, you, you can only track the data um, after the workout. Afterwards, yeah. So, so I think it doesn't work if you put it up here. I mean, it, it can work. I think I have a look at my heart rate. Yeah, at least my, my thought was, well, at least I know, you know, the feeling that I have when I'm passing that line. So I know I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be like at the moment I'm doing it as, as, uh, as I feel. I know more or less from my experience that if I'm too tired, you know, I have an scale from zero to 10. I know that when I'm at five, it's more like calories. You know, you can be on the salt bike with at 300 watts and you can go forever. But if you go to 500, you can only last maybe two minutes. So that's the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I can I can see in the middle of the workout, okay, I'm, I'm going too fast. I need to slow down. But I'm doing it as I feel. I would like to have some tracking here that told me already, this is the point where you shouldn't be. That's how I felt in the workout. And then while I'm doing a workout, I should be able to feel it by, by myself. Uh, you know, I think for, for, for this stuff, 
like having a heart rate monitor is great. Like understanding yeah. what you feel in your, like how, how your body feels, what the data says, and then trying to make sense out of like how they actually correlating. I think it's sometimes also interesting that your, that your vitals are, are fairly okay and you feel like shit, maybe you, because of whatever, like emotionally and the, the work of the day feels extra hard and sometimes it's the opposite. You, you, yeah. you feel really, um, like you feel really shit. You, 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 your, your, your values are, are shitty, but you feel great doing the workout. If you feel very well and very relaxed and uh, how do you say it, like um, refreshed and you do a workout, it's easy to go over that line and without feeling it. Yeah. So true, I think it's, it's really cool to develop a natural sense of how your body feels and in which state exactly. you're in and, 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 and get measurable data on it as well to figure out mm -hmm. if the data corresponds to how you feel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so a, a good example, um, during the Open, we did a month before the Open, we did the, the burpee box jump over um, the snatch, dumbbell snatch. In that workout, I was training with a guy. He's super short. He's pretty fit and also super short. So I was trying, and we are more or less at the same level. Um, he's, he's better than me in this kind of workouts. Um, so I was just try, trying to pace myself with him. Um, and obviously I could see that every time he was doing a barbie or just dumbbell snatch, he was always one second ahead of me, oh, even at the same rhythm, yeah. just because he's shorter um, and he's, he's good uh, as well. Um, but then I was, then I was pushing a little bit more because I wanted to be at his pace. So up to the 20, 20 or the 30, I think the 30, no, the 20, we were, we were more or less at the same level. At the 30, I just collapsed. I tried to get the dumbbell. I did like five in a row and I, I wanted to, you know, throw up whatever it was. I was feeling really bad. And I did uh, 15, almost 16 minutes during the open, um, which I knew already, you know, I shouldn't be go over that. The barbies need to be more slower for me and focus on kind of a strict dumbbell snatch because that's a little bit of my strength at the shoulders. Um, so I ended up doing 13 point something or so 14, 14 okay. or something like that. And I was feeling much, much better on the second one, even that I did two minutes, uh, two minutes less. And I think I could have even pushed it a little bit more, but I was afraid of the feeling that I had before because I knew I went way too high and, and way, way too high that I couldn't do a uh, dumbbell snatch. Like I was feeling so tired. And then the, during the open, I did everything unbroken. Other than the last uh, 50 that I think I did okay. uh, 30, 30 uh, 12 and 8 or 10 and 10, something like that. Um, and I was feeling I was feeling fine. I could have uh, pushed a little bit more. So it's, I think it's really important to know, stay here during 80% of the workout, push it here, push it here, whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know what? I think that that's what the what the good CrossFit guys they are really good at that. That the best guys, it's like how how they can pace themselves in the workouts. Yeah. They know exactly like what what the pace is that they need to go that they can sustain. And I think that's yeah. that's probably the stuff that the people that start out with it competitors are the weakest is trying to identify which pace they can really go mm. and not burning out within the first. Yeah. Yeah, I think is the, uh, the, the first couple of front end signature. It's it's been always uh, starting at the same pace that he's finishing. Everybody goes like he seems that he's gonna end up, end up being last or you know pretty bad, and then everybody's like slowing down, and then he just keeps the same rhythm, same rhythm, and 
you know, exactly. finish first. Most of you know, the time. only, the, I think it was the only time I saw him speeding up was when he did the workout with Jason Kalipa, um, Samantha Briggs. I think it was the Thruster oh, yeah. Burpee workout in the yeah. Open. And I think that that's was a really nice um, thing of seeing him. He, I think he, he wanted to beat Sam Briggs at all costs. Yeah. And you could see on the last reps, he was really speeding up. But it's, I think it was one of the very rare occasions where, where I saw him like almost red line or red lining in a workout. But, yeah. but other than that, I think he's super good at he. I think he's a really good guy at pace, at pacing compared to a lot of other competitors. To others, yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that's yeah. Cool, but um, should we go? It's great should we that go? You always talk so long. What was that? I, I I think it's always nice that we talk so long. It's still shitty if we want to do some content. I think I have a client coming in 15 minutes, but. It, yeah, but it's, it's still okay. I think uh, um, a little bit of a second part of whoop review was fine. Um, so then you have now 15 minutes to uh, do another intro to um, neuroathletic training. So maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's good with 15 minutes. Uh, maybe maybe it will be good to do some, you know, whatever, whatever you feel, but maybe some kind of uh, examples of exercises or, or something before needed to do those exercises if, if that's what you think. Can you, do you know how to, um, so that I can share my screen? Sure. It's just a, okay, that's good. Now you can see what I'm sharing. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think one of the really nice things thinking about Myra Athletic is that like one of the main changes that it made for me is thinking differently about uh, how the body functions and how the body works. And um, very often we are in our training, we are very much focused on, on, on the outputs of our training. So like which weight can I use? Like how do I pro, how do I, how do I um, like use progressive overload to get stronger? How strong the muscle is? But, but in, in essence, what, what changed my perspective completely and how to affect these things is, yeah, of course, progressive overload is necessary to, to make the muscle stronger, but it's how the, the, the inputs that the brain receives and the integration of these inputs very often have dramatic effects on the outputs. So like giving you simple examples, I had a guy that I was working mm -hmm. with uh, severe shoulder pain for for over a year has been to multiple doctors a, a couple of times, a lot of physiotherapists and, and like the output of the, of the brain is he had some kind of shoulder pain. Um, like he couldn't lift his arm up anymore. So, so pain is an output of the brain. And what was super interesting for me is like providing him with a different input. And what I did is it's called like sharp dial testing. So you focus one on one with a, with a like sharp needle, you use something that's a little bit softer and then you kind of like let the athlete try to figure out what's happening. If it's, if it's poking with the needle or if it's like the, the, the dull sensation. And we did this for like 20, 30 seconds. And his shoulder pain was like from going from seven to eight, not able to lift his arm up anymore to having full range of full range of motion, in the shoulder again, and, and being almost pain-free. So, but what changed for me is that I'm, um, at the moment when I see somebody is not able to do something, like let's say there's a shift in the squat 
I could go like, yeah, okay, your right glute meat is not working. Um, you lack uh, abduction in this kind of position. But, but very, very often, what, what, what's really the case for, for, for these shifts is not that the muscle itself is weak, but that the, there is a dysregulation of muscle tone on one side of the body or both sides of the body. That, um, that, that there are like higher order functions that affect how your muscles are working. And I think what would be fairly nice to do is like show people how eye positions, how basic movement of the eyes are able to affect your reflexive stability. So if most often when we move, let's say I'm going to grab something with my right hand when I'm standing, uh, my brain, my left brain is sending my signals to my right arm to do the movement. But even more important is what it does to my left side of the body. Because if I'm reaching out with my right hand, there needs to be a shift in my center of gravity, in my center of mass, so that I'm not falling over. So there needs to be a lot of reflexive stability on the other side of the body so that I'm actually able to move. And a lot of the output the brain generates is it doesn't go to the hand. That's about 10 to estimates, 10 to 20% go to the hand, like the motor output. But most of the output, like around 80 to 90%, go to the other side and try to reflexively stabilize the other side. So that the, the, the active movement that you're doing is, is, is a very, very small part of what your brain is actually trying to accomplish. And what it really tries to accomplish is keeping you reflexively stable. And if these mechanisms don't work properly, uh, you'll have a hard time doing movement properly, being it squatting, doing pull-ups. You see guys doing pull-ups and they always pull to one side. And I think the that's same a with great squatting. example. Like, same, same with squatting. Yeah, of course, you could say, okay, this lat is not working properly. Sometimes it's the lat, but sometimes you'll have people that have a really hard time even engaging the lat in different positions. So what is the underlying cause? If you have a, a, a weak cerebellum, it's a very old part of the brain, they are they're regulating extensor tone. So the, the latissimus is an extensor muscle. If, if, the, if the cerebellum is not working on the left side, you'll have less extension tone on this side. And this may lead to a compensation pattern in your movement. And then it's about, hey, how can I upregulate activity in the cerebellum so that my, that my, um, that my extensor muscles get stronger again? And I think- so How would you regulate um, that? If you look at the, sorry? How would you regulate? If you have a bad cerebellum, I'm not sure what that means. Um, one, what is the cost? What so, would be so, the so, causes for that? And how could you, you know, so, so the cerebellum has a lot of different parts and um, it, on a very simple level, it's, 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 it's affecting or it's managing <clears throat> movement accuracy, it's managing balance and it's managing coordination. So what you could do when you have a bad cerebellum is do a lot of complex movements on one side of the body. So if my left cerebellum is weak, what I could do is like in CrossFit, it's always like this frontal plane movements. But what you can yeah. do to activate the cerebellum is you can do figure eight. Um, yeah. Try to throw something, try to babble a, ba a basketball if the cerebellum is weak on your left side. So this is all stuff that upregulates your cerebellum um, where you have accuracy and coordination well, uh, doing stuff at different speeds on one side that are more complex and fairly new to the cerebellum or fair, fairly new to your brain. Stuff that you haven't done before a lot. Okay. That's, that's great way yeah, that's to upregulate cool. your cerebellum. Yeah, then, I think that yeah, but uh, so 
Yeah. Yeah, that goes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not following. Um, it's been a while since I did uh, the Ida Portal um, uh, workshop, but I think he has a, uh, improved and changed a lot of things. But uh, lately, what I've seen from him is doing a lot of this, you know, moving things around, maybe like even playing with balls. Um, you know, juggling, I think it's called in English, when you start like throwing things yeah. and um, bouncing two balls against the ground, and a lot of these kind of things. Um, so maybe, you know, I think it goes into that direction at some point, you, you need to learn how to so, move so, first. So, so, so let, let, me, yeah, let me say something about this, because I yeah. think this is really cool. If you, if you read from Greg Glassman, Fitness in 100 Words, one of the last senses, regularly learn and play new sports. And I think one of the main things that is, is lacking from like athletic training in the gym is the coordination, accuracy demands that you have when you, when you actually do new sports, True. when you actually yeah. learn something new. And I think this is how you actually, this is parts of how you can keep your brain healthy is you, you say, hey, learn new languages, learn, uh, like just learn anything new. But yeah. one thing is actually new challenges to your body so that all these structures, especially the cerebellum, stay healthy. And I think Ido Portal is somebody that is really good doing this. Um, I don't know how much he knows about brain science, but in his, uh, he, for me, he seems to be a very practical guy that yeah. does a lot of really interesting things, but he does it because he enjoys the movement, but he's not yeah. thinking about the therapeutic consequences of what he's doing. Yeah, yeah or, the science, or the science behind it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because I've never heard him talk about it. Maybe he, yeah. he knows something about it. Oh. And, but that's what I like about Sea Health is that these guys, or Dr. Eric Kopp, the founder of Sea Health, like he's a vast knowledge in like how the brain works and how you could try to affect specific parts of the brain with with fairly simple exercises. So what I would like to do uh, for, for today, and it's um, like the time is fairly limited, but I, I I want to explain something that we could test next time. Yeah, um, it should be. I actually want to test that this weekend. So I would like to have some okay know, some exercises yeah. that I can do the weekend. Yeah, okay, so we will, if, if you look at the picture that, that, I've, that I have on my screen yeah. now, uh, what it shows, it's, it, it shows like the, the, the human brain, and there are different parts of the brain. Um, this one where, it, where it's colored, it's called brainstem. It's a very old part of the brain, and it regulates a lot of autonomic functions, like breathing, heart rate, like all, all the stuff that you're consciously not aware of is regulated in the brainstem. And there, there are some other things that that are regulated here and one very important thing is you have like four main centers that regulate muscle tone in the brain and if you look at the midbrain it's the highest part of the brainstem it regulates muscle tone for the flexor muscles so if the midbrain is not working properly a really interesting thing is um the the midbrain it's regulating flexor tone so if the midbrain is not active enough you will lack the capacity to use your flexor muscles the flexor muscles will be weak and you can have this unilateral, or you can, you, you can have it bilateral. But what we oftentimes see is in people that have a, a de deficit in the midbrain or an underactivation of the midbrain is that their flexor muscles are super weak. To give you a test, if you do a sit-up and you come up in the sit-up position and you have somebody that's trying to push you apart, he should not be able to do this. Very often the midbrain is regulating uh, muscle tone in the, or it's regulating control of the neck musculature as well. If you do stuff for your, your neck, muscles and somebody is able to push you back in this position it's also suggesting that the midbrain is very weak and what what do you mean pond, if, I'm, if i'm like this like if i'm pushing down and somebody it's more like a rotation than a side bend. 
So yeah. do a rotation of the head to the side bend. And if somebody's trying to push you back from this position, yeah. so rotate to the left, side bend to the right. Yeah, exactly. A little like that. Okay. If somebody's able to push you back from that position, so it's very basically. indicative that that the that the um, that the cervical spine is not properly stabilized, that the neck is not properly stabilized. From both and sides. So if I do it like this, and if I do it like this, and somebody tries from this side or from that side. Okay. You, you can you can do this as well, but um, like a classical test for this is the sternocleidomastoid muscle that runs over here. That's a really good test of, of midbrain activation because okay. it's also yeah. something that flex. It's a flexor muscle as well. You could use okay. like basic side bends or range of motion on both sides. If you activate the midbrain, that should increase as well your range of motion. But it's mainly it's mainly for the flexor muscles. Then on the very bottom, we have the medulla. It's, it's also a very old part of the brain. It's, at the end of the medulla, the, the spinal cord comes, comes out of the, <clears throat> or it's almost part of the spinal cord and it enters the spinal cord. Uh, it's, it's your vagus nerve lives in here, like the, the nuclei for the vagus nerve that, that process all the internal sensations that you get from your brain. It's also, mm -hmm. it's also regulating flexor tone. And then we have two regions that uh, regulate extensor tone. It's the pons, it's the region in between in the brainstem. And it's the other one that I showed you before. It's the cerebellum. It's another very old part of the brain that's very related to movement, uh, accuracy, balance, and coordination. So all these four things, the cerebellum at the back and the whole brainstem, they are regulating the tone between flexors and extensors. And if you have issues in one of these areas, it will have dramatic impact on your movement that it's very hard to fix by just like trying to squeeze the muscle harder. Some yeah. people even can't squeeze the muscle harder. And what I will show yeah. you next time is some simple exercises that will activate the midbrain, the pons, the medulla, that you can try to, to, to see if, it is a, if, it, if they have an impact on your movement. And we'll do a little assessment and then we do a little exercise and see how, how, it, yeah. how it changes the movement. Can, can you, can you cool. tell me uh, now one or two exercises that we could do? Yeah, you can do an easy pencil push-up. Take a pen, look at the pen, yeah. bring the pen slowly in, fixate it, and then push it out again. That's a very simple exercise, an eye exercise that's starting here in the midbrain and using the okay. midbrain um, nuclei of the eye muscles to, to do that. And, and test it beforehand. Like, see, if yeah. you can do a toe-to-bar, see how easy it feels. Then you try to do the exercise and then see again. Or you just do a forward, forward bend and try to see how far you can get your hands towards the ground. To do what? Sorry, say again. Forward bend. Yes. Yeah. And forward bend, like trying how far can you get down to the ground? Ah, uh, with the straight legs. Yeah, with straight legs, because it's like a lot of flexor activity in the muscles. Yeah. If you activate the midbrain, it very oftentimes helps to increase flexor tone and makes it easier to do like a forward bend. Super interesting for people that have very stiff, stiff posterior chain. Um, yeah. It might be they have a lack of midbrain activation. Okay, Let, let's leave it here, and then next time we we go over exactly oh. over this because I think that's pretty interesting. And I think it's fun for people to test as well. Yeah, cool. Great, Basti, Thanks a lot. Have a nice day. Bye. Yeah. You too. Bye bye.